you to, to speak to us and to, to teach us, Lord. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to real quickly uh, mention another prayer request that I uh, forgotten about this morning, and that is uh, the bus cra- the bus crash victim from this past week um, there in Hempstead. Uh, many of you know uh, Fred Thomas. Uh, this was his sister that was uh, an aide on the bus, and that's the, the, she was the victim of the wreck. And then also the students need to be remembered as well. Uh, just a, a tough thing for all of them at this time, but. Certainly want to remember and pray for, for those folks. It's never a, it's never a good time, obviously, to lose someone. And then you get around the holidays and man, it just makes it so tough. And uh, there are a number of people this year who will be experiencing Christmas for the first time without their loved one. And wow, uh, just a, a tough thing. We need to be in prayer for each one facing that reality. Um, at this time of year. If you're visiting with us today, we want to thank you for being here um, and uh, look around, see who's not here, text them, check on them. A lot of people have already headed out for Christmas uh, for their break with their families. Um, a lot of you are going to be at home for the holidays, um, and I'm certainly praying that all will go well with you as your family travels in. As always, uh, my family will be coming in uh, Christmas Eve, and we will enjoy that time together. Um, and uh, as I think about today, my mom turned 71 today, and uh, I called her this morning and uh, told her happy birthday, but uh, she'll watch this later and so that she knows I love her. I love you, Mom. Happy birthday. Um, I put on her Facebook page that uh, she deserved a gold medal for raising my brother and my father. Um, <laughs> But that I was so glad that I was such an angel all of these years. And if you do not believe that I'm an angel, you can look and my halo is held up by my horns and um, it is all just perfect. So do what? She would probably say that. She would, knowing your mother. Grandmother, excuse me. My mom, yeah. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I want us this morning to look at one of the greatest gifts that God gives us at Christmas, and that is the gift of forgiveness. What a beautiful thing that God grants us through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, uh, would you stand with us? I know uh, if you're new here, uh, we do a lot of standing and sitting. Um, That is, to be honest with you, most of us, this is our exercise for the week, and uh, so that's why this church is so skinny. All right. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him 
and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For if for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, uh, firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Father, we thank you for the beautiful gift of your son who not only brings us forgiveness, Father, but he also brings us the very one that should reign in our hearts. He is the preeminence. He is above all things. He is the creator. He is truly God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a very, very busy time of year. But as we just read, Christ is literally to be above all things. Verse 17 says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. As we celebrate this time of year, as we're here at Christmas, and, and we believe uh, that uh, what we're doing is really pointing people back to the fact that our Savior was virgin-born. He was brought to this earth. He was Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. And what we are finding here in these verses is that Christmas should be about Christ. And every day of our lives should be about Christ. That the church itself should be about Christ. That each individual of the church should be about Christ. Listen to what he says again. I'm going to read it to you one more time. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In other words, we know that Christ was crucified on the cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb. He only needed it for two and a half days. And early on the third day, what did he do? He arose. He arose from the dead. And so what we find here is that as Christ has done this, he now will become first place in everything. So what has this gift of Christ done for us? Well, if we look at the scripture, we find out that what has taken place is from hell to heaven. Verse 13 for he rescued us from the domain of darkness, that place where we were headed, that, that, that world without God, that, that time that we were alienated and apart from God. We were in darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus is the light of the world. So he has taken us from hell to heaven, to that light, that glorious light. 
We haven't done that. You and I are not good enough to do this. This is something that Christ did by taking our place, our sin, to the cross, our punishment, and dying in our place. And we were guilty. And look what it says in verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There are so many people who will tell you, I cannot come to your church because if I do, the roof will cave in. You ever heard that before? Man, if I come, church's roof is going to cave right in. And what I tell them is, listen, I have deacons at this church. And I know about their past. And if the roof ain't caved in yet, you're all right. Right? And the deacons say, we have a pastor that we know about his past. And if the roof hadn't caved in yet, you're going to be all right. So many people think, I'm just, I'm too much of a sinner. I've got too much of a past. I've got too much going on. But Jesus Christ, by the redemption through his blood, has offered and brought to us forgiveness. The things that you and I are guilty of, the things that you and I have done, those things that we look back on and say, man, I regret those moments. Those are things I wish never happened. God says to us, I have paid for those through the blood of my son, and you have forgiveness of sins if you will just entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. What have you brought with you this morning? What is it that you have done? What in your past are you ashamed of? What in your past are you embarrassed by? If you're here this morning and you've never experienced the blood of Christ, you've never experienced that forgiveness and you're wearing the guilt of all of your life upon you, I'm here to tell you that whatever you've done, God's blood will cover it. The blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It is taken care of. It's amazing to me of all the things that we've done and yet God saw fit to send his son. We were guilty and from guilty to forgiven. How do you not, how are you able to live with a burden of guilt? How do you live without the hope of eternity? How do you live without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have entrusted yourself, everything you've ever done has been given to God? How do you, how do you live without that understanding? I have watched people in hospitals where they do not know the Lord and, and, and they want nothing to do with the pastor. They want nothing to do with me because I represent Christ. I represent the hope of Christ. And in their mind, all I'm doing is I'm going to judge them. I'm going to be the one that's going to tell them all the things they've ever done wrong. Folks, let me tell you something. Yes, we've all been guilty of sin, but what I want people to know more than anything else is that God's grace is greater than our sin. So if you're here this morning and you're carrying the guilt of this world, you're carrying the guilt of your own sin, listen to me. God's gift to you today is forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. 
You see, verse 16 says, for by him all things were created. You and I, we were created by Christ. Fashioned in the womb. Brought forth into this world. Life was breathed into us. Christ, Christ made us. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, Paul was saying, listen, those of you that still aren't understanding, those of you who are still worshiping other deities, Christ is above those. Christ is above the, some people worship angels. Christ is above the angels. He takes first place in all that we do. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to be reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It pleased the father to place all of these things upon his son, all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of that goes upon, went upon Christ. And that is what brings us forgiveness. See, we were alienated. We were out. We were not a part of the family. We had to be brought in. How are we brought into the family of God? By adoption. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been adopted into the family. God has made a way. I'm not Jewish by any stretch. I'm no, there's probably none of that in me whatsoever. But that doesn't matter. I have been brought into the family of God. How? Through the adoption, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I was alienated, but now I have been reconciled. Verse 21 says, And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Christ Jesus took all of those things and then he died. What should you and I do to those previous things in our life? We should die to them. He is our Lord, correct, and Savior. You and I are called to trust him as our Lord and Savior. And we are to die to those things that were in our former life. Let me read it again, how he put it. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, in other words, previously, you were previously engaged in evil deeds. What happens when we become a Christian? Well, I hope, hope you know. What happens? You're born again. New things are, are happening. The old life is not what you desire. It is something new. It is of God. God has done a work. We have been awakened to new life, new works, new deeds, new things. Not That's not how we get saved. That's what happens because we are saved. 
It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. You've got those people where the, the hearing of the word falls upon them and they, they kind of hear it and they go, you know, I'm interested in that. They get a little bit of it and then the world calls them and the world is louder than what God's word was to them and they go back to the world. They never were saved. Then you have those who might come for a while and they, they get very interested. They might even join a, a Bible study, but eventually, nope, no, thank you. This is just not for me. I tried it, but I didn't like it. They're gone. Paul is saying, listen, you must continue. You've got to continue to, to true faith. We continue in that faith, firmly established and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which is proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. People ask me, well, how can a Christian become an atheist? They can't. You're either a believer or you're not. And there are a lot of people who have supposedly been baptized, supposedly been saved, supposedly this, supposedly that, and now they're atheists. Paul is saying, you'll know who who the real ones are because they hold on to the faith. They continue. Think about how many of you have been in and out of church your whole life, but now you've been faithful. You have continued in that faith. Why? Because God kept drawing you back. You're his child. That's what forgiveness does. It keeps bringing us back to where we belong. I remember when I was a little kid, I would get in trouble because I would normally tattle on myself. Anybody else have that problem? You would tattle on yourself? Like, do you, let's ask your parents a little man. Does he tattle on himself? Good job. There's hope for you, buddy. I'm telling you, there's good, it's good stuff. Good stuff. I would tattle on myself. And there were two reasons I'd tattle on myself. One, I figured I was going to get caught anyway. And two, if you went ahead and did it, you went ahead and told him what was going on, you just got it over with, right? But ultimately, you know, let me tell you really what, what it was really all about. I knew my parents loved me. And I knew that when I was honest and told them the truth, yeah, it was going to hurt. But ultimately, I was going to find the love on the other side of that pain. A Christian, no matter how we step out of line, it is the forgiveness and the love of God that keeps bringing us back. See, in the Old Testament, we find God's forgiveness all the way back in the book of Judges, chapter 16. Y'all remember a man, how many of you ever heard of a man named Samson? Samson, he was a man set apart. He wasn't supposed to do what? He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And his hair was the sign that gave him his what? Great strength. I mean, this man, he did all types of stuff. He was a great, strong man, but this man had a weakness. Anybody, I'm not even going to ask that question. Trust me, he had a weakness, okay? I'm not crazy. I know better than ask that question. But he had a weakness, and this weakness was going to catch up to him in chapter 16. 
Chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a prostitute there and had relations with her. When it was reported to the Gazites that, uh, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let's wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Well, Samson lay asleep until midnight, and at midnight he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two doorposts and pulled them up along with the bars. And he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite of Hebron. This man was stout, okay? This man had supernatural strength. But here comes his weakness. After this, it came about that he was in love with a woman in the valley of Sarah, whose name was what? Delilah. Men, how many of you have found your weakness? Right? A lot of you changed your ways after you got married, didn't you? Yeah, you women are going, they ain't changed them enough. Still trying to fix them. Good luck. <laughs> now the people, the governors of the Philistine, or Philistine are going to come and they're going to tell, talk to Delilah and say, listen, we want you to do whatever you have to do to find out this man's strength. So Delilah begins to woo him and talk to him and get him to tell her all of his secrets. Samson is falling in love. And she understands, you know, if I just give him a little bit to drink, I can probably get him to tell me the rest of the story. What happens? What does does he finally do? He says, listen, all of my strength is where? In my hair. What happens? He falls asleep. She cuts the hair. She calls the people in, and he's thinking, I'll just break out of these ropes with no problem. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Now he's stuck. This man who was supposed to be following God, this man who's supposed to be a leader, has allowed his weakness of a woman to get a hold of him. He is now in trouble. And in our mind, and I'm telling you why I know this, because I have watched us even at this church at times, when someone has fallen into sin, it's like we forget about them sometimes. What happened to so-and-so? And and as a pastor, and and y'all know I say this a lot, but it bothers me. Like people will come up to me, how how is so-and-so? Well, do you not know how to get a hold of them? Do you not know how to call and check on them? Do you not have a phone? Do you not under... And it blows my mind how many people want to act concerned. But you may tell you what, if you're truly concerned, you're going to go out and search for those people yourself. Does that make sense? If you can't say amen, just say ouch. But it's the truth. So Samson probably would have been rolled off by a lot of people in today's world. Because he has messed up. And in a lot of people's minds, he's gone too far. Now they have captured Samson. And not only do they capture Samson, but they go in and they do what with his eyes? They gouge them out. So now we have a man who has no strength. 
and has been what? Blinded. I don't know about you, but if I've lost all of my powers that I know God gave me and now I'm blind, I'm probably going to be at rock bottom. Amen? Now, I've watched a lot of rock bottom Christians get depressed. God can't use me. I'm no good for this. I'm horrible. Samson recognizes where he's at. Samson understands. I have gone against all that God had given me to do. Verse 23 says, Now the governors of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, for they said, Our God has handed Samson, our enemy, over to us. You want me to tell you who handed Samson over to him? His God. It wasn't their God. It was God Almighty that allowed this to happen. Samson made the choices. God says, here it comes. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has handed our enemy over to us, even the destroyer of our country who has killed many of us. So it happened when they were in high spirits that they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests so that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and all the governors of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was entertaining them. And if you've ever been at the, this has to be the very, very bottom for Samson. Well, let me tell you what you do when you're at your very bottom. You cry out to the living God. Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed outwardly, powerfully, so that the house fell on the governors and all the people who were in it. And the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his lifetime. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Israel and the tomb of his father Manoah. So he judged Israel for 20 years. This was a man who had been put in a position of strength and power. And he found himself in deep sin. And yet at the very lowest moment of his life, what did he do? He called out to a holy God who gave him the strength to deal with the enemies of God. You see, wherever you are today, God can forgive, restore, and use you. That's the beauty of who God is. God is able to forgive, restore, and still use you. Now, here's the problem with that. Some of you may have heard this. Now that I'm forgiven, everybody has to leave me alone. Nobody can hold anything against me. 
Here's the problem. And here's what I want you to see. Heavenly forgiveness does not change earthly consequences. Our problem that we have when it comes to this idea of forgiveness is we think, well, I'm forgiven by heaven, so everybody on earth has to forgive me. Listen, if you do the crime, what do you got to do? You got to do the time. If you find God in prison, you still got to finish your prison sentence. If your sin causes some sort of disease upon your life and you come to Christ, after you come to Christ, guess what you still have? You still have the disease. Kids, I want you to listen to me really well. You may not like to listen to your parents, but I'm going to tell you something they probably told you. The smallest choices in life can lead to the biggest consequences. And once that is done, you don't get to take those things back. At our schools, a lot of times, when I was a young person, I think they still do it today, they would put the car of a drunk driver out in front of the school, especially around prom time and other, other celebrations. They'd put it out there for everybody to see. Well, the car they got to use one year was one of my classmates. Imagine that for an impact. One night, one choice, two lives. We can find forgiveness, and I thank God that my eternity is secure in him. But if I do something stupid on earth, I pretty much can expect consequences from doing that. However, there's still going to be some of you who want to say this. Well, I'm going to learn from my own mistakes. There's more regret that comes from your own mistakes than learning. Anybody here say amen to that? It's, it's sad, but true. Yes, I'm forgiven. By the grace and the blood of Christ, I'm forgiven. If I'm truly a believer, I am chasing after the heart of God every day. Not trying to find a new way to get around the grace, get around the trouble. But instead, I am chasing after the heart of God. So whoever you are today and whatever's happened in your life, my prayer is very simple. Cry out to the living God. The very one who made you while in your mother's womb will be the very one to save you out of your own trouble. Father, I thank you that even though we're the author of so much of the mess in our life, 
Lord God, you are able. And you are the rescuer that we desperately need from ourselves. Lord, today there are many in this room, and they're older, who can't see their own mistakes. They can't see them. They can see everybody else's sin. And they've become bitter. And in my opinion, there's nothing worse than a bitter older person sitting in the pew of a church. The worst testimony that can be given is someone who's been their whole life inside the walls of a church and yet they're still bitter and angry. Lord God, made that person today cry out to you. Father, those people that are middle-aged, people like myself, those who are trying to figure it out still and trying to make things go forward, God, if we'll just cry out to you instead of trying to figure it all out ourselves because when we try to do that, we just get ourselves in deeper trouble and I'm the president of that club. Those young parents who are reading all the books to tell them how to be a better parent, God, may they just simply cry out to you and read the greatest book ever written, your holy word. The Bible. For our teenagers, God. Who sometimes, and I get it, I was there. And I thought I knew exactly what was best for me. And I thought I knew everything. And so I made my own mistakes. God, may they recognize something. That they're going to have more regrets than success if they just keep making their own mistakes. God, let them learn from others. And let them turn to you today, God. For our children. God, the world's going to pull them 21 million different directions. God, may they turn to you. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you protect us, even those who are in the womb today. God, we trust them to you. That as they get older and they begin to understand right and wrong and they begin to understand what sin is, God, may they cry out to you. Lord, thank you for your love and grace in Christ.